The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord in its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, we come to you with a humble heart. And we pray that your words become so real to us. Lord, may the gospel continue to permeate all the places that we hide from you, all the bad things. And may the Spirit continue to work and wrestle with our, with our hearts and our spirit. Lord, I pray for my brother as he preaches, that the Holy Spirit work through him and through this congregation. Lord, we love you. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall. I'm pastor of Grace City here. just want to welcome you this morning. If you're new, this is your first time. Uh, glad you're here this morning. Uh, we are currently in a vision series for our church. And so we've been in this vision series for three weeks now. Uh, we've been looking at Jeremiah 28 and 29. And we've been seeing how important this is to the overall vision of our church. Uh, how important this is for our lives as, as disciples in Jesus. And so we're going through this uh, passage in Jeremiah 29 today. Uh, and then we're going to be doing a series in the book of Daniel this fall. And all of that is uh, in correlation with the idea that uh, you and I uh, are living in a time where if you call yourself a Christian today, it takes some resilience to be able to do that. And so the idea of this uh, book that we've been talking about, Faith for Exiles, uh, talks about how for resilient disciples of Jesus, it takes some certain uh, traits, certain aspects of, of your life to be resilient in the times we live in. And this idea of living not necessarily back when uh, Israel was around in the, the Babylonian Empire, but there's a digital Babylon. And the biblical idea that B Babylon is living in a time that's just opposed and against God. It's, it's opposed to the ideas of God. And so how do you live as a resilient disciple in times like that? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, in our passage today. And uh, really, over the, the past few weeks, we've been talking about this. Uh, so if you haven't been here, listen to those, those messages to catch up. 
Um, but when we think about discipleship here as Grace City, um, one of my friends, uh, Tim, asked me, he says, you know, what is it that makes Grace City tick? How do you make disciples here at Grace City? And so this, if, if this is your first time today, or maybe you've been with us for a while, I just want to show you really quickly uh, what this looks like. Our hope is that as you come to Grace City, that you are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are a gospel-centered church. What that means is that we believe that Christ is at the center, and we want him to be at the center of our lives as disciples. But as the pathway uh, at Grace City goes, um, one of the things that we have is, is the public gathering on Sundays. And so this is the 20 plus. And so usually uh, it, it's more of like what you see in the New Testament is the crowd. Jesus talks to the crowd, right? Or he has the 72. So there's big groups and there's, there's discipleship that happens in those groups. So that happens at a Sunday gathering. This is a discipleship time. Uh, additional things is we have retreats, classes, trainings, uh, specific ministry. And so we have men's ministry, women's ministry, Youth ministry is coming very soon. We have children's ministry. All of those aspects of our, our, our church is discipleship. And so if you're going through the pathway, also something that you need in your life is that 6 to 20. Jesus had that in his life. He had 12 disciples. And so what we do here is city groups. Uh, those are going to start this fall. And so additional aspects of what you see in this 6 to 20 is serving opportunities that are here at the church. Um, being out in the community and doing outreach opportunities. I loved this past week being here at the high school for the freshman orientation and uh, seeing that we had volunteers that were here cooking up 1,200 hot dogs for the freshman parents and people that are coming through. I see you, Rob. Rob was over there on the grill. And where's Rudy at, man? Rudy was visiting for the week. There he is over there visiting his family from my he's from Miami he was out there grilling hot dogs I loved it so let's give it up that's awesome I got an email this morning and last night from the staff here at UC high school saying thank you thank you for the backpacks thank you for being here on campus interacting with students thank you for helping set up and, and being a part of what's happening here uh, with, with this community here. That's from the principal. That's from the administrative staff. We were able to bring uh, breakfast for uh, this, the whole staff this week. And so we just give God the glory for that. And, and I loved it because I, I got to hear the principal as he's announcing that there was breakfast right there in the media center. And he just said, thank you to Grace City Church. But who, do you know who we're really thanking? It's God. It's all God. God providing so outreach opportunities, you, to be connected and rooted, like we talked about last week, there are plenty of serving opportunities here. We need greeters at the front. We need children, people in the back. We need people helping and discipling different ways, cafe, all of those areas. But you can find a friend and walk on that discipleship journey together. One of the things for me is I'm here at 7.30 a.m. helping with the facilities team. I thank those guys, Ben and the crew, can we just give up, give up for those guys real quick? <laughs> Setting up, tearing down every week. But I see it as a part of, like, it's a part of my rhythm. It's a part of my rhythm to be there. But do you know how many discipling relationships have happened out of just the facilities team and setting up and discipleship conversations? How's life going? What's God doing in your life praying together? Friends, it's a part of the journey. 
And so that 6 to 20 is important. We'll have social events, things that are going to happen, the park and different places. We'll have the clothes swap. Personal. So I just want to say, up here, the public and the social, our staff is going to do everything we can to, to create environments to help you to get plugged into those. But when we get down to this, these two down here, this has really got to be personal responsibility. Personal. Okay, and so when we talk about this personal, discipleship groups, this, we do discipleship groups every summer. It's two to five people in those groups. Remember Jesus, he had his three. Peter, James, John. That's important. That was a part of Jesus' life rhythm. And so we have those discipleship groups during the summer, but that doesn't mean if we don't have it during the summer that you can't do it at different points throughout the year, meeting people in your city group. Okay, and so that's important rhythm to our life. And then intimate, okay? Intimate, your walk with Jesus. That's gonna be between you and the Lord. That's, that we're gonna foster environment and give you resources to help you in your walk with Jesus, but we're not gonna be over your shoulder during your prayer time, right? We're not gonna be over your shoulder to say, hey, you need to read your Bible today. Like, th those are things that you, you feel like, okay, but we wanna set you up for success in that. And so as a church family, like this, if you're wondering, okay, does this church make disciples? That's the discipleship pathway. That's what we want to encourage you to do. We want you to jump in and be a part of that because we want to develop resilient disciples. See, there are consistent ways Grace City disciples people. We see it right here. But everything can lead to discipleship. Do you know one of the errors in the church? We, we've believed that it's only the one-to-one, -one, like, I just need a mentor, and that person's going to disciple me. That's part of it. And we're not going to try to make, we're, we're not doing a dating service, right, to see if, who, who, who really connects here. No, no, that's, we want you to find a mentor. But we think that that's only discipleship. No, it's all discipleship, especially when it's centered on the gospel, Okay, and so we want you to be discipled in the gospel of Jesus because our goal is to develop resilient disciples. And so here's what I want us to know when it comes to this. And, and this is the vision part, and then we're going to jump into the text here. But I just need to say this as a church. Our goal is to, to develop resilient disciples that are centered on the gospel of Jesus, rooted in God's missional family, empowered by the Holy Spirit, because you can't do it on your strength. It's only on God's strength. Equipped for everyday rhythms. And what that means is that God is working in the everyday rhythms of your life. And our hope is that you're building in times of Sabbath rest. Because that's countercultural. <laughs> so many people are burnt out right now. But also, you're living knowing that your work matters to God. No matter what you're doing, not just pastors and people that work for the church, but every one of us is called to be a minister of the gospel. It's a part of God's kingdom. We want to equip you for that and sent with kingdom vision. Sent with a kingdom vision that God is doing something much bigger than what we can see and that I'm living for the kingdom of God, not for the little castle of self. So every week you're going to hear it. As you come to Grace City, at the end we say, Grace City, you're sent. You're sent. And what that is is this commission that, okay, it's not just here on a Sunday morning that we live as disciples, but it's every day of our life. Can I get an amen on that? 
All right. You guys sound really excited about that. Can I get an amen on that? Yes? All right. Yes. Okay. So our text, Jeremiah 29, verse 7, 10 through 14. Here's the last message in our vision series. Seeking God on behalf of the city. Seeking God on behalf of the city. Now, why did we plant Grace City Church almost seven years ago? Well, there were people before we even got here that were praying for our community, that were praying for a church to be here. When I first got here, there was a pastor, Yukon Chu. He had planted a church in this community, felt called to go plant other churches. And as he was leaving, that's when we were coming in. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Randall, I've been praying that you would come because we need more churches in our community. He just did his doctorate uh, dissertation on the need for more churches in University City, in UTC. He talked about the, the different demographics of people that were coming in and, and how there was a need for the gospel to be here. And so, almost seven years ago, we were in my backyard praying that God would build his church here. Through that small little group of people, we went around in the community and prayed that God would move in our community. I loved my brother Yukon's heart because it was a kingdom vision that he had that wasn't just the little church that could be planted, just one church, but he said we want to see many churches that reach people with the gospel. His open-handedness stuck with me. See, ultimately, God's church is about sharing his love. It's a belief that God loves cities and that ultimately, there's a conviction that God loves America's finest city, San Diego. Not for all the things that it can offer, but the people that live in it. Recently, I was asked, how many people live in your city? The last time I checked, 1.3 million in the city of San Diego, 3.1 million in San Diego County. That's a lot of people. And God loves people. And so, by the grace of God, this church started and we continue to pray because the only way that we've survived up to this point is through the grace of God and through prayer. It's amazing because some of the people that have been here from the very start, from the backyard, are still here. It's funny because Blake and Brooke, who are in the back over there, they live in Tennessee right now, but God brought them back for just a couple months to be here during this time. It's been such a blessing to see them. 
You see, there are so many stories over the years of the grace of God and what he's done. And I believe that he's not finished yet. He's not finished yet. And so over a three-week span, our church has been studying Jeremiah 29, which describes Israel's exile to Babylon. And in the first week, it was surprising because we looked at Jeremiah 28.10 through 29.7, and the message was seeking the welfare of the city. And what's surprising about that is as God's people are taken to Babylon as captives, God's directive to them was to actually seek the betterment of the city that they're going to. Can you think in their hearts just how angry and upset they're feeling at this point? To be taken from their home to this foreign land? But yet God says, okay, I'm sending you there with purpose. I'm sending you there because I have plans for you. I'm sending you there to seek the welfare, the betterment of the city, to make the city better because you're there. Because God has sent his church into this city, this city should be better for that. There's always that question, would the community notice if your church wasn't there anymore? Would your neighborhood notice if the church wasn't there anymore? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves all the time. Because the city should be better because the church is there. The second week, we talked about seeking to plant roots in the city, and that was last week. We talked about Jeremiah 29, 1 through 9, and what it looks like to, to plant roots, deep roots in the city, where, in many ways, our culture tells us to use the city. And when we're finished, we'll move somewhere else. Because mobility and transience is just a part of the norm of our culture. But to plant roots in deep relationships with people is very countercultural to the way that the world is living now. And so God tells his people, you're not there for a short time, but I'm gonna send you there for 70 years and so plant roots. And today, we're talking about seeking God on behalf of the city. Jeremiah 29, and we're gonna look specifically at 10 through 14, but I want us to look at Jeremiah 29, seven real quick because here's what it says. But seek the welfare of the city where I have, I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. Basically, what God is saying is, there's people here that don't know me, and so would you stand in the gap and pray to me so that they would know me? Would you pray for those who aren't praying right now? If you believe in me, and trust in me, would you stand in the gap for those people? And would you believe that I could do something in their life, not just your life? See, many times what we do is we pray for ourselves, if we pray at all, but how many times do we pray for others? Let alone 
what Israel would probably have thought is their enemies. These are my enemies. But what does Jesus say? Pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. You see, what happens is in prayer that God changes our hearts and it changes our posture towards our neighbors, to our community, to our campuses, wherever God has placed us, to our workplace. See, our vision as a church is to be a church for our city that seeks new life in Jesus. And a part of being for our city is praying for our city and that people find new life in Jesus. And so my hope is, if you're here for the first time today, that you meet Jesus, the living Jesus. Because I believe that it's not just you ended up here on accident, but there's people who have been praying that you would come, that you would connect, that you would find who Jesus really is. And I'm so happy that you're here. See, why is seeking God so important? Well, there's this man, Brian Fickard. He was given this talk called First World Poverty. And he asked the question, why do people now struggle so much with mental illness? Now, it's a complex question. And I think there's a lot of variables to that. But he talked about how Dartmouth Medical School did research. There were scientists, medical professionals that got together and they were asking, why, was, why has there been such an explosion in America of, of all of this? Why has this happened? And all of the research was put into this little book called Hardwired to Connect. And basically, their findings were that human beings are wired for relationship. And that the youth in America were experiencing a breakdown in two specific areas. Relationships with other people. We talked about that last week. But also, and this is a secular study, the second and primary relationship is with God himself. With God himself. These secular scientists saying that a breakdown in those two relationships were contributing to the problems and the ills that people are facing today. Now, this study was done 20 years ago. Now, do you think that today it's gotten better or worse? When was the last time we prayed for our family, our neighbors, our neighborhood, our schools, campuses, community leaders, people we pass by on a daily basis. I saw this sign the other day. It was driving. It says, prayer changes things. Pretty simple. Prayer changes things. I'm driving by and I'm thinking to myself, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? That book, Faith for Exiles, by David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock. Here's what they say. They said, this generation has been taught to expect and prepare for having it all. So actually making a choice, a choice that necessarily rules out other choices can feel monumental and not in a good way. When overwhelmed by all you could do, how do you decide what you should do without having a nervous breakdown? 
In fact, the numbers show this generation is facing unprecedented challenges when it comes to issues of mental health, anxiety, and staying sane and safe. Hospitals see growing numbers of kids and teens at risk for suicide. The number of kids who struggle with thoughts of suicide or attempt to kill themselves is rising. New research finds children ages 5 to 17 visited children's hospitals for suicidal thoughts or attempts about twice as often in 2015 as in 2008. Life is more complex than digital Babylon. It's not just unlimited access to content. It's the range of ideas and the fact that so many are untethered to orthodox ways of perceiving the world. There's more to think about more to worry about, more to concern yourself with. And that's just on your Facebook feed on Tuesday morning. Previously unimaginable complexity is creating an epidemic of anxiety in our homes and heads that is ratcheted up in the hearts of the next generation. Again, has it gotten better or has it gotten worse? And can we look on our communities and the people around us and even believing our, that, that, that we ourselves need God in our lives and prayer to be a fixture of how we live our lives. So Pastor Jack Miller talked about the difference between maintenance prayer and frontline prayer. Basically, he said maintenance prayer is short, mechanical, and totally focused on physical, self-focused needs. But frontline prayer has these three basic traits. A request for grace to confess sins and humble ourselves. A compassion and zeal for the flourishing of God's church. And a yearning to know God, to see his face, to see his glory. See friends, we need frontline prayers that are on the front lines of praying these types of prayers and confessing and saying, Lord, I'm not the neighbor I, I, I want to be, but Lord, help me by the grace of God to be that type of neighbor. Lord, I, I need to see the people that are around me and the people that are hurting and struggling. And what happens is that God starts to open our eyes to the struggles around us and we start to see people that are right next to us struggling with this. And we can come to God ourselves when we face these challenges. So again, our text is Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. And why did God allow his people to experience exile in a new city? Well, just to give some context, commentator Derek Kidner says this. He says, with God, there is nothing skimped or superficial. The two-year exile promised by the false prophets would have been a cruelly pointless march or encounter march. But in a span of 70 years, there was a role for Babylon on the world stage. There were great deeds and visions for such as Daniel. And there was time for Israel's heart searching and for the kind of praying that we find in Isaiah 63, 7 through 64, 12, which I'd encourage you to read that. God's plans to give a future and a hope went deeper and further as they still do than prosperity. And the call of verse 13, to seek and find, is as fresh as its promise is inexhaustible. As fresh as it is inexhaustible. See, the idea of exile is both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And remember, what 
First Peter 1 Peter 1.1 says, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and really today, friends, we are, this is not our home. We are passing through. But by the grace of God, may we live as citizens of heaven. As citizens of heaven. That's what our community needs. That's what people around us need. They need something more than what they have right now. See, in exile, God develops in his people a holy desperation to truly experience him and also a deep desire to see his will done in their lives and communities. And God is still working to do that today. And so the question is, what vision does God give his people while living in exile? Well, he encourages them in this text that we're looking at today, this last text here, to a better plan, two, better future, three, better reward. Better plan, better future, better reward. So the first one is better plan. Look at verses 10 through 11. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So again, what's happening here? Well, we must first remember the context of what's happening. God's people were getting mixed messages. Hananiah and false prophets had their own plans. Again, their plans were isolate and use the city. Stay on the outside, use Babylon, exploit the city. Babylon had plans. Assimilate to our city. Love the city. Become like us. So there's always that tension that we face. Am I just going to be like everyone else around me? Or I'm going to run and not engage with anyone around me? But in verse 10, God says that he has plans. He has plans. For thus says the Lord. What does the Lord say? says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, commentator F.B. Huey uh, says, the Lord assured the people that what had happened was not a series of unplanned accidental events. He said, I know the plans. Literally, listen to this, I, I know, emphatic in Hebrew. So the original Hebrew, I, I know. His plan was not intended to hurt them, but to give them hope and a future. He encouraged them to pray, for he would listen to them. Friends, how do we know the plans that God has? First, God has given us his word. He's given us his word. And so to know that God is at work and that the same God who is the God of Israel is the same God of us today. Do you believe that God has plans? Do we believe that God has plans right now? Or do we believe that our lives are all dependent on my plans? I got plans. Lord, bless my plans. 
because I got some great plans. Lord, let me tell you about my plans. You'll really like them. And then when I tell you my plans, then you can just go bless those. And then what happens when we don't get those plans blessed? We act like bratty children. Bratty children. I got kids. I know. They got plans. They got plenty of plans. They, my, my son's had plans for years about me getting him a phone. <laughs> plans. Dad, so if you get this, then I can do this, and I can call my friends here. I can go to the mall and hang out by myself. I don't think so. <laughs> that plan is not a good plan. But I'm telling you, we got plans, and we try to take those to God, and when we don't get those plans, we act like bratty kids. But the focus here is that God says he knows the plans. So, okay, I don't know the plans. I'm scared. I'm uncertain. I got trust issues, right? I got, I got trust issues, God. Like, I don't know if I can trust your plans. That's the problem. That's the problem. Because the root of it isn't, is God's plans good? Because if we think about it, what we see in Scripture is that God is good. He's perfect in all his ways. He's our father. He cares for us. Right? That, that's, that's what we see in Scripture. That's who he is. But the problem is not whether or not God ha has plans. It's whether I trust his plans. And that's where God comes in next because he then shares his heart. He says in verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But then he, he says this, Plans for welfare and not for evil. Plans for welfare. These are good plans. I, how many times do we think that God, his plans aren't that great? And I don't necessarily trust that he's actually going to give me something that's good for me. I actually think he's going to give me something that's going to harm me and hurt me. And so we start applying these really bad caricatures to God that aren't true about him. And so what does he do next? He, he shares his heart. He shares his heart. He said, I'm not trying to, to, to rain on your parade like, a, like I do with my kids and say, hey, I'm not just trying to say like, hey, I, I don't care about you if I don't like your plan. I'm just telling you I love you. That's why I'm protecting you from that plan because it's a bad plan. to give a, a future and a hope. See, this verse is commonly hijacked out of context. You've probably seen it all over the place, right? It's on bumper stickers. It's on walls, places. And the reason it's hijacked is because it's a great verse. But what we forget is that this verse is in the context of exile, Because everything looks like it's pointed in the direction of, this is a really bad plan, God. 
Everything looks like it's pointing in the direction of my life is falling apart. It's falling apart. But could it be that it's, it's not falling apart, but it's falling directly into alignment with what God desires? What God desires. See the fear, anxiety, uncertainty of the time? It was very real for them. And in many ways, it's very real for us. What does God do? He tells them that everything might feel like a dead end right now, but it's not. There is a hope and a future. I can't tell you how many times in the life of our church where I'm just curled up in a corner praying to God, feeling like, how is this going to work? How are we going to survive? I don't know. We're taking this risk out there. My wife, three kids, other people's families are starting to... I remember just struggling with, okay, God, is this going to work? I love this from Tony Marita. The assurance is not in the plans. It is in God's knowledge of the plans. God knows so that they may focus on the present. He tells them now what he plans to do later. He tells them now what he plans to do later. What this takes is something called faith. It's like my friend Janie Cahuto said one time, she said, following God feels like a constant trust fall. You go through one thing and then you're like, okay, whew, got through that, great. Wait, we're doing the trust fall again? Okay, well, hold on a second. Why, why are we doing that again? We just did that. No, that's, that's the life of faith. And the assurance is that God knows that whatever God decided with Grace City or whatever God decided with my life or the future, that actually whatever he decided is the best thing. Do I believe that? Do I trust that? See, are we okay with living in the tension, the uncertainty, the silence at times? Are we okay with God knows? God knows? I remember this pastor said this. It, it just radically changed my perspective, but he basically took the gospel and applied it to this very thing. He, he basically said this. He said, um, put your dreams on the cross. Let it die. Take it to the tomb and wait till the stone rolls away. Put your dreams on the cross. Let it die. Put it in the tomb. Wait till the stone rolls away. Could you do that with your dreams? Could you do that with your visions? Could I do it with the things that feel like these are my plans, God? Could you put it in, uh, on that cross, put it in that tomb and say, Lord, resurrect it in something better than I could ever come up with? Because that's what he does through seeking him and through prayer. And that's what he's doing with the people of Israel. He's saying, I want something better for you than just sitting in your own little cocoon, your own little shell of self-protectiveness. And I'm asking you to step out of that in faith and trust me. 
that I know the plans, and I'm, you're okay with me knowing the plans and you not knowing the plans. I'm going to tell you a little bit of it, but I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. But I'm just going to tell you those guys who are telling you two years are wrong. It's going to be 70 years. It's going to be 70 years. See, this challenges the idea that we have control over our lives. And this confronts the overwhelming anxiety of what's, what, what's happening when control of my life isn't going exactly like I want and the environment that I'm controlling isn't going exactly like I desire. See, this passage reminds us that God has a plan and that it's a better plan that we could ever come up with. And when he says, for I know the plans I have for you, that the plans weren't just individual plans, but it was a corporate plan. It's a bigger plan than themselves. You all, you all. declares the Lord. One of the passages that I take comfort in is Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's the goal that God has for us? A successful life based on what we define? No. His goal is that he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. And so there are going to be things that you're going to go through in life that you're saying, why am I going through this? But it's all with the intention that you become more like Jesus through it. That you become more like Christ. That you become more gentle, more humble, more kind, more ready to trust the Lord and depend on him and be filled with faith. See, what this is is a better plan than the one that we could come up with. Second, it's a better future. It's a better future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What's the better future look like for God's people? A future that is reliant upon God. See, what's the words that should stick out to us? Verse 12 says, then you will call upon me. Then you will. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me. Why does he say you will? Most likely, it's because they weren't. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't seeking him with all their heart. They were actually living in a very self-focused, self-dependency that looked very religious on the outside, but there was nothing of substance on the inside. What is Jesus coming after? Just our behavior on the outside? No, he's coming after our hearts. He's coming after our hearts. That's what he's coming after because he loves us. He cares for us. When pastor says, the reason we don't pray isn't because we're too busy, it's because we are too self-reliant. 
We're relying so much on ourselves that we don't feel like we need God because we can get through this on our own. But God is calling us saying, hey, I care for you. I've got plans for you that are good. Would you come to me? Rely on me. Trust in me. You will call upon me. You will seek me. That's the goal. Because in our self-reliance, in our better plans, we don't seek him. We don't call to him. But we need him. See, a better future is looking at God's perspective and him saying, I want you to seek me out of a pure heart. I want you to seek me with all your heart. See, what it looks like in Scripture to seek God with all our heart is not that you're going to be perfect, not that you're going to be sinless, but it's that when you get to that point in your life where you start to see those idols that are in your life that are taking the place of God and you start to say, get out, you don't belong here anymore, my sole focus is on Christ. It's on him. I want to go his direction. Lord, help me to seek you with all my heart. See, it's when all the other things start to fall away to the wayside. And that's the type of heart that God wants for us. What happens, thirdly, it's a better reward. Look at verse 14. He says this, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, contextually, this was meant for a certain people at a certain time. But is that the same God that we serve today? I think there are some things that we can learn from this about what it means to have the true reward. You see, the order here gives us the clue. It informs us on what really is better. Because what God starts with is this, I will be found by you. But do you remember what he said before I will be found by you? He says that I will come to you. I will come to you. The only way you and I can find God is because he found us first. He was looking for us. He was searching for us. If you think about God in the scriptures and you think about the prodigal son story or the lost sheep, which we've talked about before in the book of Luke, like who's the one who's searching? It's God who's searching. It's God who's looking. It's God who's speaking. But for that to happen, we have to know that God was the one that was searching for us first. And that when we know that we'll be found by God and that God will be found by us, that's the starting place for the better reward, better than anything you could ever have in your life. Any possession, any person, that Christ is there. See, many times we start with the latter, not the former. Our order is usually like, okay, well, how are you going to do it? What's going to happen? And then we might get to the who of like, oh, who actually blessed us with this? Oh, thanks, God. 
appreciate that. But do you see the order of what God gives? He says this, he says this. I will be found by you. He's starting with the most important part because the, God's order is the who. Who's most important? Him. Before I give you anything, before I, 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 I give you all these things, restore whatever it is that, that you're meant to have because some of us, we want that job, but we don't want God. We want those resources, but we don't want God. And we might thank him on the back end, but he's telling us, he's saying, that stuff is temporary. I'm the better reward is what he's saying. And so could we think that God, who actually wants a relationship with us, is better than any possession that this world could give us? Pastor Tim Chaddock says, a hope that the grave can destroy is not a hope worth having. A hope that the grave can destroy. That the grave, right? There's all that old phrase, like you don't see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? Like you don't see, you know, you don't see that happening. Can't take it. It's over. If the grave can destroy it, it's not a hope worth having. But a hope that can destroy the grave is. See, ultimately, who is the one who destroyed the grave? It's, it's God. And God's saying that's the most important thing. And so knowing all of this, how can we apply this now to seeking God on behalf of our city? How can we take this? So the first one is this, seek his heart. Number one, take away, seek his heart. God has a better plan and a bigger heart for our lives, our city, and our church than we realize but like we talked about last week, many of us live in the decline narrative. The decline narrative. Everything's just getting worse. It's, it's so bad. But I'm telling you, God tells us his heart. I have plans for welfare, not for evil. I am working good to the lo- those who love me according to my purpose. You see, and it's through prayer we get a lens of God's heart for our lives, for our city, for our neighborhoods, which is much greater than what we see around us. Paraphrase from a sermon that Charles Spurgeon once gave, a happy Christian. It's a paraphrase. He says, God is too wise to be mistaken. God God is too good to be unkind. And when you can't trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. So I'm like, you don't know what God's doing sometimes, right? You're like, I don't, I don't understand this. But could I trust his heart? Could I trust that he cares about me and loves me despite all the things that I'm facing right now? Second is seek his face. Uh, as a church, I'm gonna put out a challenge for the next seven days to pray specifically for our city, because that's a command, right, for us to pray. Pray for others. Pray for our city. And if you feel called to, to fast over these next seven days, that's something that I'm going to be doing. I'm going to send a video out tomorrow through email, along with some specifics to guide us in prayer for our city. But these are not self-focused prayers, but these are prayers for others.
I encourage you, maybe that two to three that you have, or the two to five that you have, might have in your life, maybe a, a prayer walk, walking through campus, apartment, neighborhood, wherever it is that God placed you, said, would you, could, let's just pray for our neighborhood together, wherever God's placed you and rooted you. Next month, we're gonna start having prayer before service, I'm just gonna rent a room across the way here. And if you're going through anything or just wanna come pray, it's just gonna be an op open space to come pray, to come talk to God, get prayed for by others. Um, but we're just gonna do pre-service prayer because prayer is just so important. And as you're prayer walking, here's what I believe happens. The neighborhood starts to transform around you into ways that you could see God moving in people's lives. We start to think not as transplants, but as missionaries. Our homes start to turn into places of ministry. And churches become crossroads of kingdom renewal. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, always respond to every impulse to pray. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Never push it aside because you are busy. Man, if you got that impulse to pray, just pray. Where can you start? It could be simple, and this is something that the early church would do. They would just pray multiple times a day the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. If you don't know where to start, just start there. Start with the Lord's Prayer. So it's a practice that we see throughout church history. Lastly, let's seek his plan. You know, there's some great things that I'm excited about for this fall. We're gonna talk about that next week. We're gonna talk about the youth and the young adults and the college and all the things that are gonna happen. But as a church family, before I share any of that stuff, let's just make sure that it's lifted up in prayer. You know, we're gonna have a men's retreat, a women's retreat, all those things I think are just gonna be such a blessing to our church family, such an awesome encouragement. There's gonna be opportunities to serve, right? Generate hope and uh, with the refugees. There's gonna be money that we're gonna raise for the end of the year. And we're gonna ask God so that we can give it all away to bless others. but we gotta seek his plan. And a part of seeking that is just saying as a church family, would you pray that we'll be in alignment with what God wants for our church and in our lives. See, ultimately, when we talk about the one who sought us out, the one who gave us an opportunity to know him, we think about how God sought us first, not just in word, but in action. And we look at Jesus, who came from heaven to earth. He loved us so much that he sought us that way. And that his view of prospering was actually that his life would be crushed. His life would be crushed. See, it says it in Isaiah 53.10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And through the Lord... The, through, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. 
What's this saying? That Jesus came. He was crushed for us. But what did he do? He came in praying for the city. Remember weeping over Jerusalem? You know, in the book of John, he prays for us as believers. Jesus was crushed for us. Why? Because he was an offering for our sin, for our selfishness, for all those terrible plans that we put together, he was crushed for. All those me-focused plans, he was crushed for. And what did he do? He lived out the will of God to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? What was the vision that God had? What was the vision that Jesus had on the cross? He tells us. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He will see his offspring. He sees you. He saw me. And he said it was worth giving his life for. And what was Jesus' last prayer on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he says, it is finished. I commit my, hand, my, 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 my soul into your hands, Lord. It is finished. And when you, in your life, you put your life in the hands of God and say, God, direct me, help me. I'm gonna pray to you. I'm gonna seek you. I need you, Lord. You're gonna start to see that your life starts to prosper in a different way. Not in the ways of this world but in the way that only God can do. Where our lives become more selfless and we start to more, look more and more like Jesus. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for how you are at work and you're moving. And when our life is in your hands, Lord, it is better, it is better that that's where the prosperity is. It's, it's not in the way the world defines it, but it's in the way that you define it, Lord. And so help us live knowing that you have better plans, that ultimately, Lord, you have a better reward and that you are better than anything that we can try and accumulate in this life. Help us to live like Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.